Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Imagine This. I'm Trent. And I'm Mackenzie. And today it is just the two of us. So you might be in for a wild ride. We'll see what happens. Today Things we are. might get unhinged. <laughs> unhinged is one of Mackenzie's favorite words because it largely describes her approach to life. Wow, that was, thank you, Trent. You're thank welcome. You. I am really good at introducing people. What can I say? Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to talk all things musical theater today. The, that is where Mackenzie and I both started out in the theater world. Um, I think on a past episode, I talked about how my first production that I was ever in was of Christmas Shoes at church. And I didn't sing the Christmas Shoes song, but um, someone did. Um, but my next production was also at church, and it was a terribly cheesy little church play and I don't remember what it was called but the theme was kind of like was like farm life it was based on the parable of the sower in the bible where the guy like scatters seeds and it lands up in different places and some of it grows and some of it doesn't right and so I was a farm hand um and the there's a lot of you know really cringeworthy moments but the one that I'll point to that I think is you know so cringy that it's worthy of this podcast is there was a song called the rumor weeds and <laughs> so there were these you know girls all dressed in green and whatever like we're the rumor weeds and they're like singing and dancing and whatever and I come over with like an like a backpack style weed spray like a sprayer and I come over and I'm like hasta la vista weeds in Terminator style and um sprayed the weeds with fake weed killer and they died so squelched those rumors yeah (laughs) and that is that was my introduction to musical theater (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not quite what we're talking about today, but my 
story starts with music. I was a musician before I was a theater kid. I took piano lessons from a young age. I was singing. I was doing choir. And then at church, I started doing those kinds of little musical things at church. And then as I got older, I started singing in church. Um, And Mackenzie actually studied musical theater. Um, That was for a long time her goal, as it was mine. We were both those kids that went to college and decided that we were Broadway bound. Heck yeah. So Mackenzie, what happened? You know, (laughs) um, I don't, I think it's hard to like pinpoint like a moment of what happened um, because I love musical theater. I always will. I always have. It will always be my first love. I love musical theater. It is who I am more than I love Shakespeare. Wow. Shock to everyone. Um, But I I don't know. I think I woke up one day and I said, I think I got to do a new work with Trent. And I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? There is something artistically fulfilling about this that I have not gotten from playing the same catalog of roles that you play in musical theater because musical theater, they there tend to be the same shows produced over and over and over and over again. And not that's for a good reason, but I don't know, musical theater, I think, a lot of times regionally can become very stagnant. Um, and I don't know, I woke up one day and all of a sudden I valued artistry more than I valued star power I think is honestly what it is um and I guess we call that personal growth um I also went through like a phase where I I I I felt that I I felt a lot more free doing straight acting instead of musical theater because I feel like in musical theater there's a it's it's every area of this industry unfortunately is looks-based Things are changing, but like that plays a role in it, and I, I, I've struggled with that um, pretty much my whole life and career, um, and I, I felt less judged not doing musical theater, and I so I found empowerment through that, um, and I think that's another reason why I moved into other areas as well as musical theater, not out of musical theater, just into more areas. Yes. Yeah, I that's a good starting place for a lot of conversations. There's a lot to unpack in the in what you just said. Um one of the things that I might point to first is you talked about how there's a catalog of roles, right? When you mm-hmm. are a musical theater person, you have a list of dream roles that you want to play. That is mm-hmm. just true. Every musical theater person is like they have like their top 5, 10, 15 roles that they look out for those shows so that they can audition for them and like check off those dreams. Right. That's yes, like not guilty. really the case in new. I mean, obviously in new work, cause you don't even know what the rules are, but even in like Shakespeare or straight plays, you don't have that same ideology. Um, and it's because you're not cycling through the same popular shows over and over in the same way that you see in musical theater. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. One, For one thing, a musical theater tends to be more commercial. And I don't say that with judgment. I just say that with fact. Musical theater tends to sell better. It's more expensive to produce, but it's also more money in the bank 
when you start selling tickets, right? So there's a give and take there. But audiences respond to musical theater in a very different way than do straight plays get responded to. And mm-hmm. so there's a familiarity, and depending on your patronage, you could be pulling from classic musicals, things that, you know, your baby boomers grew up with, right? Or maybe you're pulling from a more contemporary catalog because you have a younger audience who was growing up with Rent and Avenue Q and, like, those types of shows, right? But every theater kind of has who they're marketing to and pulls musicals accordingly because it works and people come and audition for them and people come to see them. And for better and worse that for better or worse, that's really the case. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about new work, it's not as often that you see that with musicals as compared to straight plays. Yeah, um, obviously, because there is just, like, a never-ending, like, pile of new works to be read and discovered and shown, Um, and because they're new, they generally haven't been produced before, and people haven't done them before, and so you're not playing, pulling from the same pile over and over and over again because you are doing new work. Well, and because musicals are more expensive, you want that bang for your buck with the audience, right? And so there's more factors to consider with a musical than with a straight play. Because musicals, it's not just the words on the page. It's the music. You'd have Mm -hmm. people who are writing the lyrics. And sometimes that's even different from people who are writing the book or the dialogue. And that's mostly both different than the person who's composing the score, um, yeah. And so there's more moving parts with the musical than there is with a straight play. You have to have someone who not only dramaturgically understands theater, but someone who methodically understands music. And so it's a much bigger ask to produce a new work musical than it is to produce a new work play. And then it's because it's more expensive and you don't have that name recognition that you tend to have with musicals. It's just a much bigger risk for a theater all around to do something that's new. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so for Mackenzie and I, who have become passionate about new work, not that it stands in opposition to our love of musical theater, but that intersection becomes much smaller than you would expect it to be. Yeah, um... I haven't gotten to do an original musical, but like, like singing original work, like is like very high towards the top of my bucket list. Um, and like, it's happening. New musical work is, de- is happening and developing um, in certain areas. Like there's a lot of it that's going on in like New York right now. I'm um, actually like in London. However, um, it's very concentrated and it isn't as widespread as say just playwrights writing straight plays. Well, and it's often at a larger level, right? You don't see as many smaller professional theater companies producing musicals. And most play festivals or calls for submissions specifically say that they're not equipped to handle musicals. And so Mm -hmm. the new work that Mackenzie's talking about is often taking place at like 
a really large level. I mean, people think about Broadway, but that's really true. That's where you see a lot of new work, musically speaking, come to the forefront in places like London with larger markets, with theaters, with larger budgets. But at like the smaller professional level, you see a whole lot less of it because it's really intensive in different ways than our straight plays. Yeah. So the other thing I'd love to dig into a little bit, and we can, you know, bounce back and forth, but one of the things you talked about was the way in which musical theater made you feel. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, unfortunately in this industry, whatever part of performance you're in, um, your physical type plays a factor, right, in terms of casting. But musical theater seems to be more so. Yeah. um, And again, things are changing. I think things are changing slowly, but things are changing. But like in the past, there, there just there, there's no question that there has been trends in casting in the way that especially women and young women are cast um, to play certain roles because their bodies look a certain way. um, And that's, gross um it's the only really word to say it because the way you look physically should not affect your ability to sing or act a role at all really um it's it's really a loaded it's a loaded thing um and i think that oh this might be a little bit controversial but like honestly i think broadways i think broadway is changing a lot faster than very traditional regional theaters in the states are changing um yeah. Say more about that. Um, so I think there's a lot more body diversity and just straight up diversity and casting happening on Broadway than there is at a little summer stock theater in I'm rural Oklahoma. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not name dropping. Cause like, it's obviously it's like, I'm not going to like group them all together, but I think that Broadway does a better job and like professionals in theater hubs are doing better at diverse casting and inclusive casting than some very traditional or dare I say conservative theaters that are well-established in their more traditional communities. Yeah, and I I hear what you're saying. And we're not slamming a particular area or a particular theater, but there's some no. truth to the fact that as conversations have developed in the world of theater around inclusive casting, those conversations aren't being had as 
deeply or at the very least as publicly in smaller theater venues and smaller theater markets. And so it's not surprising that the trends that have perpetuated the industry for the last several decades are holding out in areas where those conversations are less frequently had or less publicly had. Um, And, you know, people talk about how kind of Broadway sets the trend, but I am not entirely sure that that's true. I think in time that's true, but it's certainly not an immediate trickle down. There's a whole lot more that has to do with the culture that the theater resides within. There's a whole lot more that has to do with tradition, I would say. The number of people who I've interacted with that still adhere to traditional casting norms is shocking. And what I mean by that is not only body type, but for example, when you're casting a family, people, there are people who think that they should look biologically like a family, which has to do with obvious factors like race, but sometimes even has to do with much more minor factors like hair color. And those are conversations that are still being had, which feels insane for 2023, yet here we still are. Like, okay, two things. First of all, wigs are a thing. Second of all... No, Mackenzie, that's crazy. If we can suspend our disbelief that we're not in, I don't know, 1700s France, if we can suspend that disbelief, we can suspend the disbelief that a family don't look biologically identical. (laughs) First of all... Yes, I that's what I think that's what kills me the most is like we're doing shows that are not in any way real. And yet that's our hang up question mark. Or, or we're doing a show where people have literal ice powers, but but Lord forbid the young version of Elsa and the old version of Elsa don't look the same. Hello. Well, it's kind of. It, Exactly. And like when the Little Mermaid movie released its trailer, people got people got up in arms about a black mermaid. And it's like, guys, I don't know if you know this, but mermaids aren't real. Like, hello. And they're not an exclusively Nordic tale either. So get off your high horse. (laughs) Um, But also, can we talk about the fact that like. In our current age. Bio, even biological families, I'm not even going the step of adoption, which changes the game entirely, but even mm-hmm. biological families often don't look the same. No. And, but I, I want to get back to your comment about body type because I do think it's important. Um, you said that young women especially tend to get cast based on their body type can you specify what you mean because i know what you mean but i don't know if everyone listening is going to cue in to that statement yeah okay um in very candid terms traditionally ingenues are going to be young women who are very petite and very small and if you do not fit a smaller size of clothing or you are too tall, you are going to have a harder time finding yourself cast in traditional ingenue roles or even maybe even like 
age appropriate roles, um, especially in educational theater. We're all the same age, but there's trends in casting where the young women who are petite and small get cast as age appropriate roles and other women who don't necessarily fit that perfect cookie cutter shape are cast as the moms or maids or grandmothers even. And it's, it's eh, problematic is yeah, that's the word it's gross and it's problematic and it's damaging, honestly. Yeah. And that's why I wanted you to specify because I think it's important um, just recently, uh, Wild Imaginings opened up applications to become a part of our company. And so I've been interviewing actors for the last month. And one of the questions that I asked in every interview was, how do you tend to get cast? Like, what is your type? And what is something that you wish you would get cast as? contrary to your traditional type. Mm-hmm. And I had multiple people, men and women, say that, you know, I'd really like to be considered for a leading lady or a leading man, but I don't get those roles. I tend to get cast. I had one person who said that she tends to get cast as either the weird best friend or the more villainous role. And, mm-hmm. you know, villains are fun, but sometimes it would be nice to just be a leading lady. I had a guy oh, yeah. that said, I always am the weird best friend because I'm not tall and I'm not, like, ruggedly handsome, right? I'm, like, guy next door, and so I don't get to be the romantic lead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about myself, and <laughs> Mackenzie knows this, I like to say that my typecast is, like, youth pastor. I have a very nice face. <laughs> And so I get cast as, like, the nice guy or the romantic lead. And romantic, you know, I hate complaining because a lot of people wish they got cast as the lead, right? But mm-hmm. also, frankly, in terms of character development, the lead is also is also often really boring. Oh, and, my gosh. Yes. And, and that, like... <laughs> which I'm is a whole other problem we could have a whole podcast like, about. I'm not even going to get into the theater history lesson behind like the lover trope um, and how boring it was, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to hear from multiple people. And it wasn't just those two. Those are just kind of the two examples I'm giving probably five or six different people talked about how they wish that they would be considered for a leading role because of how they look. They never get those roles. And then I think about my experience and how I often get slated for kind of that leading role or nothing because of my type. And it's really it's really interesting that people fall into that so easily. Casting mm-hmm. should be difficult. I, I think that casting directors should struggle. And what I yeah. mean by that is that because someone shouldn't walk in and you automatically go, oh, if they're good enough, they could be this or this. You should see their audition, consider their skill, and say, hmm, I wonder how I can put together the best ensemble of human beings to tell this story. Yeah. But that's not what people do. Nope. It's more of like a I'm going to slot you in here type of game from my experience, at least. Um. And this isn't exclusively a problem for musical theater, but I think in both of our experiences, 
it tends to be more prevalent in musical theater than in other theatrical spaces. Yes. So, we like to talk about new work on here. Do Uh you think that if new work musicals were more highly prioritized, that it would help to offset that trend? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, because I feel like if it's the right work, I feel like work written today generally or should at least reflect the world that we're in today. And I think the world that we're in today is far more accepting and open-minded. And so theoretically, yes. However, not all new work is progressive. um, (laughs) What? Yeah. I think that new work musicals might be worth the work in ways that people don't expect. Um, I love me a good traditional musical. I really do. I Mm -hmm. attend them. I audition for them. I've directed a good number of them. But for me at this point professionally, I'm really interested in telling new stories. That is where my passion is. Yeah, And I would love to be able to do that musically. I think that music speaks to people. I love straight plays um, in a way that I did not when I first started doing theater. I was a musical kid all the way. Um, But straight plays have a way of really cutting to the heart of a matter that I think musicals don't. But on the flip side of that coin, I think that music speaks to the heart and soul of a character that a straight play cannot. Um, A song, a ballad, is just going to depict more than a monologue. And maybe not more, but it's different. Um, And people can jam in their car to a ballad and feel those things and connect to that character in a way that they can't with a monologue. They're not going to memorize a monologue and recite it in their car on the way to work, right? But they'll well, they'll know every... Okay, maybe you and I would. And by you and I, I mean <laughs> you, because I don't do that. But Mackenzie <laughs> is a special brand of crazy. Yeah. But it's any fine. person can relate to a character through learning a song. And I think that's why musical theater is so much more popular, is because it's more accessible in that sense. Yeah. And I think people are hungry for new characters to connect with and new songs to jam to. I think that's why the musicals that we've seen rise up on TikTok have been as popular and as successful as they've been because people are ready for new characters. They're ready for that next person that is their musical soulmate or their self-identified hero. Oh, for sure. I'm always hungry for a new good song or character to add to my bucket list. (laughs) (laughs) As is every musical theater kid. Yeah. There's only so many times you can sing the entirety of Les Mis by yourself in your car. I made it through my freshman year of college singing on my own, so... Fair enough. Uh, That was my go to my car and cry song. It was fine. I was fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> we survived. That's what matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> so, okay. We've talked a lot of different things. Musical theater is an industry fraught with certain issues, but we also clearly love it, and it's worth tackling those issues, and it's worth the effort to infuse new life into musical theater with these new musicals that deserve to see the light of day. Um, we also got to have a really good conversation about casting that I think is super important um, outside the realm of musical theater even, even though that's kind of the context that we talked about it in today. Um, mm-hmm. But what what takeaway do you want people to leave this episode with? What are you going to keep thinking about when we're done here? Um, I love Shakespeare. I'm still glad that Shakespeare is being performed today. I think it has new things to say. I think there's ways to produce it and ways to make it relevant and pertinent to today because it is so well written. I think the same goes for a lot of musicals, a lot of the golden age musicals, um, and a lot of like the classic musicals of the eighties, especially like in the big musical boom era. Um, I think there is a lot of value in the musical theater that we have today and a lot of it, um, and it shouldn't go away because there is a lot of beauty and value and also like, comfort like we all have our classic comfort musicals that are like our guilty pleasures I love Phantom of the Opera more than anything and I'm not afraid to say it um but I also love new works and so I think there is a way for these classic shows to coexist with new works as long as the current and old and existing shows new life as long as new life is breathed into them and they are produced in ways that cater to the 21st century in the world that we're living in today. Um, and also we make room for new work that has new things to say and is also relevant to today. I think that would be my soapbox for the day. It's a both and. And I think that yes. that's important. Um, we tend to see theaters choose one or the other. For example, even us at Wild Imaginings, we've chosen new work. But I think that people like us and companies like us exist because, by and large, we're not seeing that both and exist. And so we have to choose the flip side of the either or coin because otherwise it's only going to be one thing. Yeah. And so I would love to see more theater companies committing to the both and because I think it would give theater companies across the board a broader experience and a broader audience and I think it would engage us in collaboration and it would just uh, you talked about artistic fulfillment and I think that that is part of why people do what they do whether it's community or professional theater and so I, I would just love to see more of both within the same space, not even within the same market where one theater is doing traditional and one theater is doing new, but where you saw more people embracing both themselves. Yeah. All right. Mackenzie, I think that you did a good job of not being unhinged overall, really. So our listeners wow. should say thank you. 
Thank you. I have really strong opinions on this. (laughs) Yes. Well, and someday you'll stop saying that you're better at articulating things and just accept that you articulate things fine. But that's a conversation for another day. Maybe one of our episodes will just be group therapy. Who knows? Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) Mackenzie's like, wait, I am here for the group therapy. I just sometimes (laughs) struggle to word my words. It's fine. Wording is hard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Mackenzie, tell them where they can find us if they, you know, want to know more about our work or, you know, reach out to hear more soapboxing because both of us are always willing to soapbox to anyone at any given time. Absolutely. You can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod, theater with an R E, or at Wild Imaginings Waco, Wild, Wild Imaginings Waco.com. Wow, wording my words, or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks. Thank you to all you musical theater kids for tuning in and listening and to all of those of you who, you know, are not musical theater kids but want to learn about those of us weirdos who are. All of that being said, thank you for joining us today to Imagine This. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.